All right, everybody, welcome back. We are doing part two of the astrology of Lacey Peterson, and we're really getting into kind of the meat of the story here. Uh, this section, we're just going to dive right in, like we said, diving right in. If you, by chance, stumbled upon this um, this mm -hmm. episode and did not hear part one, go back and listen to part one because you're jumping the gun. Don't do it. You're going to miss a lot of You're going to miss a lot of things, but we are getting into, like, mm -hmm. the meat of the episode here. So... Lacey is missing. It's Christmas Eve. She's nowhere to be found. Her 1996 Land Rover is in the driveway. And Scott is not too rattled by any of this. He gets home from a day of fishing at the Berkeley Marina. Um, he decides to come home. He decides to take a shower. He also decides to wash his clothes. And he says that they were wet from fishing, which, like, duh. But, like, I hope you're not doing a whole load of laundry for just your fucking fishing clothes, because that's offensive. Mm -hmm. um, that's offensive on so many levels. We also didn't have, like, the auto-sense load, like, amount of water back then. Right. I like, mean, now I you could kind of do that and have it, it'll sense, oh, like, a yeah. small amount of water. Yeah, no, that didn't <laughs> exist. It didn't exist back in the early 2000s. That was not a thing yet. But it is interesting to note that he did laundry right away and took a shower. Mm -hmm. These are things that... When you're like, wait, where is my eight-month pregnant wife, uh, who should definitely be here on Christmas Eve? It's even more <laughs> of like, when detectives look at this, they say, he came straight home and got in the shower he was cleaning up. Uh-huh. So that's, it looks like a way to conceal evidence. But is this also, before he called her mom? Yes. Oh, I don't like that. These were the first things he did. Mm. This is, we're, we're kind of revisiting the timeline here. Um, so he does all of this. And that's when about 5.25 p.m. rolls around. He starts to realize, oh, it's weird that Lacey's not here. Um, maybe I'll call her mom and just, like, make sure that that's who she's with. Like, mom probably picked her up. They probably went and ran some errands the last day, you know, before, mm -hmm. before Christmas. Like, it's a busy day, like, going and doing last-minute stuff. But literally, Christmas Eve, everything closes by 5 o'clock. Anything that is open on Christmas Eve, closed by 5 mm -hmm. in the United States. So... It, it would make sense that about 5.30, it's like, mm, I don't know, where's my wife at? Um, so, anyway, he calls Sharon. Sharon tells Ron, Lacey's stepdad, about the issue. Ron calls the police and makes the initial report of Lacey missing. So, police are on the way. They're dispatched to the home. And it, when they arrive, Lacey's keys, wallet, and sunglasses were found in her purse in a closet. Who puts their purse in a closet? I do not put my purse in a closet. Most like it's their coat closet that she always puts it in. Like it's a okay, weird. That, yeah, I mean maybe. Maybe like if you had it right by the door. Uh, but I just. It's I not hang a mine up. Thing. I hang mine up. I have like an area. You that do. I, that you I hang it up. Down. But it's not in a closet. So I don't know. I find that strange. The closet seems like you're putting it away and not intending to leave or go anywhere, though. Too, mm -hmm. if she had put it in there, it depends on the closet. It depends on the closet. I don't it know what weird. room the closet's in. I don't know if this is like a hall closet or a coat closet, like you said. But I just that detail really. That is not a typical. Yeah. I'm bothered by that detail. Also, this is kind of eerie. The dining room table was meticulously set for the family Christmas dinner. The following night so she preset the table and mm -hmm. it was perfectly all laid out like 
everything, napkins, utensils, plates, the fancy plates. You know, you get your fancy fucking plates mm -hmm. out for the holidays. They probably had some, like, cute Christmas designs on them or something. I imagine. Whatever she had planned, yeah. I imagine it's something super beautiful because she cared so much yeah. about this stuff and the little details. Like, this was really important to her, very homey housewife stuff. Um, and then detectives said that when they questioned Scott that evening, they found him to be, quote, dead calm. While the rest of Lacey's family is freaking the fuck out, like Scott he should is, be at least a little concerned. He's unbothered, according to detectives. Detectives found his nonchalant demeanor to be highly suspicious, and it was just described as direct quote: a strange combination of polite and arrogant, disaffectedly distant and impatiently irritable. He just didn't seem like a man who was crushed or even greatly disturbed by his wife's disappearance and possible death. Direct quote. Um, he is very arrogant. Like that's that's a big thing that I I feel from him. He's um, good at the bluff, you know. Yeah, and like poker face kind of guy. But also, ugh, I don't like it. The same detective ended up telling me. Yeah, it is slippery. 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 Hashtag slippery Scott. Skeevy slippery Scott. Uh, and it's also like so Scorpio too in that way of like yeah. he's just mm, slipping on by. Mm -hmm. um, and this same detective told the media later, I suspected Scott when I first met him. It didn't mean he did it, but I was a little bit thrown off by his calm, cool demeanor and his lack of questioning. He wasn't saying things like, will you call me back? Can I have one of your cards? Mm -hmm. What are you guys going to do now? Mm -hmm. It's like, um, that's the end of the quote, but it's like he just couldn't be bothered. It's almost like he overplayed the the like calm, cool, collected mm -hmm. charm. Yeah. Um, and made himself suspicious. Like mm -hmm. also that Gemini mood can be kind of. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but when he was asked about what he had done that day, Scott said he went fishing about ninety miles from their home, and detectives immediately launch a search. Like that's the first thing they mm -hmm. do. Uh, as you can imagine, the media went absolutely crazy over this story. And this is, like, really important to note because this is around Christmas time. There's not a lot of news. Mm -hmm. Things are usually a little bit quiet. Um, Feel-good stories mm -hmm. are important at that time. But this was, like... Also, when someone's pregnant, it's usually, like, a bigger deal. Yes. Yeah. That and also the think about how people are more sentimental and spending time with their family on Christmas. So for mm -hmm. a pregnant woman to be missing like this, mm -hmm. people went crazy. Like it, the only things in the media around this time were Lacey Peterson, and we were about to go to war against Iraq. So this That's was right. the same time. Um, so it's either and news stations were going back mm -hmm. and forth between. George W. Bush talking, and then and the Lacey, that Lacey does Peterson. feel so, sounds so familiar. Back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and they'd be like, "And now we have an update in the Lacey Peterson case." I was in third grade. Wow. So like, I, I kind of remember, but like, like stuff you're saying is jogging my memory. I was memory, seventeen. But... I was seventeen years old. So I was all about this. I watched all the twenty-four hour news coverage. I loved Nancy Grace. I loved HLN. Mm -hmm. I was so into true crime. You know, at this mm -hmm. point, like. Um, I, I was an absolute murderer, you know, <laughs> um, as a young person. But now we have to kind of rewind just a little bit because, you know, when I mention Scott having extramarital affairs during this entire 
holiday season. Mm. That's exactly what he was doing. It's a fucking doozy. Um, we're going to talk about Amber Fry next. Okay. So. Mm. I feel like that can also make you kind of come off like, like how he was to the detective. Like when it's not... When that person is not really truly your main priority, oh, like yeah. you'd always, but also you also are a little bit less like caught up in the feelings about them, and it's hard to kind of almost play it. So it's kind of hard to pretend they are your top priority after a while. And this is like what his third, fourth affair, probably. Yeah. So presumably his um, third, um, but I, I only I've heard conflicting accounts. Like it definitely shows a pattern. Mm-hmm. Of him kind of um, taking some vacations from the marriage while vacations. still married. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's kind of going off and having these little flings. And he's not getting caught. Scorpio. Not getting caught. He's he's figured out how to do it and make it work. Because one of the crazy things, when we're going to talk so much about Amber, but I don't even, I don't have this in my notes. It's just, again, mm-hmm. I have too much knowledge about this case and I couldn't put things in my notes. But I still feel like it's important to talk about. Um, Scott and Amber... Uh, we're seeing each other mostly like on weekends mm-hmm. and he's married and he has a pregnant wife and he's just gone on a trip with his pregnant wife so somehow in between there he's sneaking away mm-hmm. to fresno to see amber so it's he's got a lot going on and there's a baby about to happen which mm-hmm. it's just he's kind of distracted kind of he's, distracted it's hard to juggle more than one relationship it yes and to keep it secret like this is really wild uh-huh. so and now you got detectives coming up and they're mm-hmm. gonna probably find out and yeah the whole thing so and i, I mentioned, can see why he kind of standoffish and also kind of it's kind of hard to fully care like you're so much that's such a good point though like to it, it's hard to even pretend you're you're as concerned as part of probably thinking this is easier for me and amber <laughs> right right uh, uh yeah so i guess we'll go ahead and get into amber before mm-hmm. we are going to go ahead and move into amber fry who for those of you who are not familiar with this case i don't know how anybody's not familiar but it does happen sometimes um or she is the star witness in the entire case and she is the woman that scott had an affair with just weeks before Lacey disappeared. Mm -hmm. So, Amber was born on February 10th, 1975. She was born in Los Angeles, and in November of 2002, when Lacey was seven months pregnant, Scott was set up on a blind date by a friend uh, with Amber, who was a Fresno massage therapist at the time. So, a friend, like a mutual friend, met Scott at this convention when he was in Fresno for like a work thing Mm -hmm. and didn't know he was married and was like, oh, I know, like, I can fix you up. Like, I think you guys would be great together. And he really hit it off, made the introduction and didn't know what was going to happen later. So it's just kind of by chance that they met, like the universe kind of pushed them together. And Amber was at this point in her life where she was looking for the one. She was not trying to casually date. She was very clear about that with Scott as well. She told him up front, I'm looking for something serious. I'm looking for the one. I'm looking to settle down. Like, I want to find my person. And Scott said he was looking for the same thing. Of course he did. And things moved very quickly. This relationship, like I said, they started dating in early November. Lacey disappeared at the end of December. So this is like six weeks of a relationship where it is like hot and heavy. It's escalating very quickly. They're feeling very connected mm-hmm. to each other. They're kind of swept away. 
Amber had no idea she was being set up with a married man. She even brought Scott as her date to her company Christmas party. There's pictures of them. Um, they're really sweet pictures. You can just tell Amber is like really, really having strong feelings and is like you can tell in the pictures. Like you can mm -hmm. feel it. Um, so she's excited about this relationship. She's feeling good. Like her life is getting better. She's a single mom at the time. Her her daughter was 18 months old at this point in time. So she was like really just young, excited, trying to settle down. She's already got the like home life thing going on. So um, this was this felt like a new a new beginning for her. And at one point, Scott said he needed to talk to her about something. So he did bring up the Lacey situation before it happened, which mm. is extremely crazy. Um, like, I feel like you don't go out on a limb and mention that you have a wife, a pregnant wife at home. Well, he didn't tell her unless that. Unless you, oh. No, he didn't tell her that. What did he tell her? He told Amber over a phone call that he had been married before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, you think he was forthcoming? I was like, I was like, I'd be like, you don't, play, you don't play that card unless you have a plan to end it. Like, exactly. He didn't play that card at all. Instead, he told Amber that he had already lost his wife, that she had passed away, and he openly stated this would be his first Christmas without her. Lacey is still alive. She's at the freaking Christmas table. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, but either, okay, Nancy Grace, I got to quote her here because she said quite possibly the funniest thing ever. She said, either um, Scott is the most unlucky man on earth or he's clairvoyant. Like, he, he either, like, did this or he had a vision and, mm -hmm. like, knew it would be his last Christmas with Lacey, but he had nothing to do with it. So it's just that the, this is where Amber Fry is the star witness because mm -hmm. she's bringing information about thing, how he's living and what he's saying and what he's doing that we would not know without her. Yeah, he doesn't say that without having a plan in mm -hmm. mind. So make, make her disappear, make her go, make it be the last. Also his delivery. Last of, dead wife. Right. The delivery of this information too, um, he made it where Amber didn't want to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Very, very... Um, I know it's a sensitive subject. Yes. He yeah. said it was really hard for him. So Amber was trying to be sensitive, and she didn't press for details mm -hmm. uh, at all. And like I said... Only six weeks together? Like, I, I wouldn't either. And like I said, um, like him and Lacey went on a romantic trip just before she vanished. So he's like spending weekends in Fresno with Amber. He's spending time with her. He's going on trips with his wife. He is really playing both relationships and like playing it up and, and acting like everything is good in the relationships both ways. So very, very interesting um, behavior on the part of Scott. Like mm -hmm. Scott's behavior was really what got him in trouble here. It wasn't evidence. It was his behavior. So um, Amber had been dating Scott for like, over a month when she sees the news coverage about Lacey's disappearance. And Amber wasn't really one to watch the news. Mm -hmm. A friend told her, I think you should look at this because they knew she was dating Scott. So, wow. yeah. So this was extremely shocking. Um, like, she saw the comments from Scott, who was her boyfriend, who had told her that his wife was gone, like, already. So this was really weird. Amber's completely horrified. She does the right thing. Mm -hmm. She goes straight to the police. Good. She goes straight to the Modesto police. Fuck yeah, Amber Fry. 
amazing. Mm -hmm. Like that is absolutely what you should do. Um, so from mm -hmm. there on out, she started cooperating with the police and started recording all of their conversations. And these are wild to listen to. I've oh, listened I've got, to. I had you too. Uh, oh, I recorded um, one of their calls to let you hear. Okay. The most infamous one, I recorded it to, to let intentionally because I knew you needed to hear it. So we'll <laughs> listen to that later. Um, so in the, in, this is crazy, in the press conference that is now considered infamous, the world meets Amber Fry for the first time. This was between news, again, about the Iraqi war. Mm -hmm. It was like... Um, and they had to keep it on a DL so that she could do all this behind-the-scenes helping. Well, not even. Really? really? Yeah, they, she continued to talk to Scott McCormick oh, conversations so she, after yeah. the press conference. And I'll talk oh, about that, too, because... There's okay. a call where he confronts her about it, and it's recorded. I've listened to it. So, okay. um, so it cuts away from George W. Bush talking about declaring war on Iraq mm -hmm. and all these things, and then it goes straight into this press conference with Amber Fry. So this is like everybody's watching this. Um, what you see is a small, blonde, very petite, walking out towards this microphone on a podium, She's she's shaking. She's tearful. She's really she's she's trying to gather herself. She collects herself, and then she delivers some jaw dropping information about Scott Peterson. She came out and publicly stated um, that Scott told her he was single, and the two began a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. She openly expressed how sorry she was to the Rocha family. She said she was praying for Lacey's safe return, mm -hmm. um, and then. This is the part that I recorded for you. One of the most disgusting things that Scott did after Lacey's disappearance was on the night of her memorial, like candlelight vigil, the entire conversation. Like, oh God, you're gonna, you're gonna just, you're gonna be sick to your stomach. I already have like kind of this chilly. I keep getting chills and feeling like I've got tears welling up in my eyes as I think about it because it's so awful. So it's New Year's Eve. Thousands of people are gathered to grieve over Lacey, who's been missing since Christmas Eve. Um, oh, God. And Lacey and Connor, their unborn child, also missing. Scott was in attendance, but decided to make a quick phone call to his girlfriend while he's there. Gross. While he's there. He told Amber this elaborate lie that he was in Paris. That's how he explained what? the noise in the background. Yes, because he worked for a European fertilizer company. He had to, he had to go to, to Europe to all the time. So he explains that um, that he, he's in Paris. You know, Happy New Year. Like, I'm in Paris. Because there's fireworks and there's stuff going on in the background. Like, it's a big celebration of life, like, memorial thing for Lacey. And so there, and in fact, there were so many people there. Um, one news reporter said, like, there were more attendees at this vigil than Elvis Presley's funeral. Actually, it was an attorney. I think it was Gloria Allred that said that. Um, Gloria Allred said this. That she said there were more white limos and people there mm -hmm. spectating than Elvis Presley's funeral. So, Lacey, this was a huge, huge deal. Um, and you can see in the recording that I have to show you, you can see the crowd. In the background, like it's it shows it, it like it shows the footage of the memorial with his voice playing over on the phone to Amber. So it's really powerfully done, and that is in the Hulu six part series. Please go watch that if you haven't seen it yet. It is really really good. Um, but he says I'm in Paris. <laughs> he kept talking about like how great it was, how beautiful it was. It's it's just so awful, and. Um, it's just the whole thing 
that the the prosecution built up that Scott's motive for murder was to build this life with Amber, to get this thing that felt like he was trapped, this other thing that's kind of limiting him. We saw that on his chart. He feels limited. He feels mm-hmm. repressed. He feels like he can't do what he wants to do. He wants freedom to kind of do what he wants. He wants to start this new relationship. He's got this wife and baby standing in the way of this relationship. It's like a conflict of interest, which is mm-hmm. you know hideous. What about if, if this all worked out, how he wanted he would just be repeating the same thing with amber and having another affair Uh and yeah he this is a pattern for him absolutely um so it's really really gross and then their entire relationship was six weeks long from start to finish so that's another we we talked a little bit about that but that's important to to note um and then even like i said he talked she kept talking to him after the press conference that did not deter scott because at the press conference, all she did was publicly say that she was having an affair with Scott Peterson. She didn't say, and I've been cooperating with police, and I've been recording phone mm-hmm. calls. So he still thinks he can just call her and tell her stuff, which he does. That makes sense, yeah. So he calls her right after the press conference. He calls her out. He starts the conversation. He's like, did they just, like, so you just decide to go do a press conference? Did you just, like, call the media and say you want to do a press conference one day? And she's like, God, no, Scott. Like, no, they, like... They asked me about the relationship and, like, it was something that they had me do. They handed me the statement, which they did hand her the statement to read. (laughs) Um, They did prepare a statement for her. Mm -hmm. But he goes from being kind of assertive to very proud of her. He says, I'm so proud of you. You have such great character. Oh, keep her on your good side. He's praising her. And Uh then he tells Amber he's going to do a public appearance, too. He's going to make sure he addresses the relationship as well. Okay. Um, okay, makes sense. Bad idea. Bad idea when you're about to go on trial, you know, which he doesn't know that they haven't. Mm-hmm. But that's a, from his state of mind. It makes anything sense. you can say, like anything you say, can and will be used against you. Like he's there's no Miranda rights be read here, but he is willingly going out and talking to the media. Mm-hmm. And he also mentioned that he wanted to make sure he did it on the same night as the State of the Union address to get maximum press coverage because he wanted to clear his name. His whole thing is like, I'll go on there, I'll address the affair, I'm going to de-escalate this whole thing, mm-hmm. I'm going to get right. the, everybody to kind of understand my side. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Tell, say whatever he wants to say, um, make it sound good. That fucking backfires. So, he does an interview. <laughs> it's painful. This interview is so painful because he gets caught in a lot of lies in this interview. Um, he addresses the in- inappropriate relationship, that's what he calls it, with Amber Fry. Uh, I had an inappropriate relationship with Amber. Mm. Um, He asks the public to keep looking for Lacey, not Mm -hmm. to get distracted by this. Mm -hmm. Don't get distracted by this affair. He also claims that he told the police about the affair right away in this interview. He's like, Mm. because he was asked point blank, um, at what point did you disclose this to police? And he said the first day, first day in interrogation. And then you like can see, like I've watched the footage of his interview where they ask him if there's any problems in the relationship. And he says there were no problems. He describes the relationship as perfect. He says it was perfect. Everything was great. We were so in love. Um, and he just kind of like kept digging himself in a hole. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really, really interesting kind of his... His approach to this. And then back to Amber a little bit, though. Uh, She's doing really well today. Like, Mm -hmm. she's kind of moved past all of this. She has written a book about it, about Mm -hmm. her time being the star witness in this case. Um, She's divorced, but she has two children. Like I said, she already had her daughter. Mm -hmm. She um, met Scott, but she has another child now. 
She seems extremely happy. She's still a massage therapist. She loves to travel. And she's openly stated that she will gladly testify again for the prosecution uh, if needed with all the mm-hmm. twists and turns in Scott's case. So she's really open. She's really forthcoming. She's in the documentaries. Like, she doesn't try to hide from any of it. Right. Even though throughout this entire case, Amber coming forward meant her character was being ripped to shreds. Right away, nudes were leaked of her. People were saying awful things about her. They were saying things like that she wasn't as pretty as Lacey. And that, you know, like people were directly comparing her. And just, she got a lot of backlash for doing the right thing in this case. Um, So I think that's important. And then I know we want to take a look at her her chart. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of talk a little bit about Amber here. <sighs> okay. So, um, Amber's chart. She was born just a few months before uh, Lacey. So, she's February uh, 1975. We have birth times for all these people. It's crazy. It's so cool. Um, that doesn't happen a whole lot, and when it does, we're excited. Mm-hmm. The Manson episode, we also have all the birth times. So, it's always fun. We have multiple people, and we have all the birth times. Mm-hmm. Um... So she has her sun in Aquarius and her moon. So she was born on a new Whoa. moon in Aquarius. And remember that Lacey also had her moon in Aquarius. Oh my God, I forgot about it already. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. And okay. then they're both Aries rising. So she's an Aries rising. Um, yeah, there's a lot of similarities on their charts with how close everything was. But um, her Venus is in Pisces. Her Mars is in Capricorn, um, Jupiter in Pisces, Ceres in Pisces, Pholus in Pisces, Lilith in Pisces. Um, she still has Chiron in Aries. Uh, Juno is in Aries. Um, so it kind of seems like, you know, all these placements where he, where Scott likes places, mm-hmm. you know, the energies that he likes are coming through. And there's this like asteroid of commitment here um, in Aries on her chart. So I think it makes him feel kind of like, like he's really a little bit extra committed to her previous huh. life. Not a, not a good reason, but. That's really interesting. Um, just feels probably good to him, you know. Um, man, <laughs> it's just so much. Her uh, midheaven is also in Capricorn. Wow. Like what we were talking about. Um, yeah, because they have the same rising. Yeah. So how we were talking about so how Lacey becomes known for that situation because of Scott. So same it. for Amber, except Amber also has her Mars there and her Vesta in the 10th house right over the line in Aquarius. So she becomes known for this like Capricorn level case involvement due to Scott's Capricorn North node to Jupiter, but also for taking action, the Mars yes. being um, like an active participant in the situation and being devoted to making a difference, Vesta and Aquarius. Wow. Um, so I, I feel like she has, um, she's kind of known, she's also known for like that passionate element with Mars there, like, mm-hmm. oh, she was the lover, like she mm-hmm. was the, um, you know, it's it's kind of, it's kind of like sexy kind of way in, like, in that, but unfortunately, you know, people right. are looking at it as a negative um, well, but uh, at until, her, like at her, like kind of, you know, it sucks because until things hit the news, she thought she was having this mm-hmm. great new relationship and like that maybe she had found the one yep. and that things were going really well and it was really like good connection and mm-hmm. like 
and he listening to their phone calls like even after she knew because police told her to keep talking to him like nothing mm-hmm. is wrong like you have to keep it up like you can feel this the vibe between them and it's it's like kind of playful it's kind mm-hmm. of like it it has this like um i don't even what is the word it, it's a it's it's sexy but in like a a sweet way it has like mm-hmm. a it has a sexual quality to it like there's one where she's like talking about the lingerie she's wearing mm-hmm. and you know and it's like but it's like cute how she's saying it it's also like got the sexy vibe to mm-hmm. it so it's her vibe is so interesting like she has a cute but also she has this like sexy side because mm-hmm. the pictures that were released of her were like modeling photos that were like um you know sexy mm-hmm. like she had posed for them like a boudoir session yeah so she did have that side to her but it like came off so sweet <laughs> it came off so sweet. it did like yeah, she's, I mean, she has such a, a sweet little stellium in Pisces, you know? She's got Venus and Jupiter and Ceres. Oh, Venus and Pisces like makes so much sense for her. Yeah, and yeah. then, um, you know, her Capricorn Mars is, like, kind of what gives her that kind of, like, solid, like, stable action in life, mm-hmm. you know? And it's funny because it's square to his Mars, so it's like their actions aren't going to line up. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they get more involved with each other yeah six weeks in actions not lining up <laughs> not at all she's not into the way he's doing things Mm-mm. no but the, uh, another thing that's just popped in my head that one of their conversations that scott was trying to say that he didn't cheat on her to amber he's like i didn't cheat on you and she's like you're married what are you like what do you mean you didn't cheat on me his framing of things mm-hmm. is so out it's of very Neptunian. Yeah, his his the way he's kind of like his narrative mm-hmm. is so interesting. Where he's he didn't think he had cheated on Amber. Mm-hmm. He, he literally had the balls to say, "I never cheated on you." This is something that comes up a lot when you have mm-hmm. Neptune on your ascendant, and so he's got this almost like Piscean, uh, Pisces rising type of vibe where they can oh. come off like. Um, you almost have to be careful when you have that kind of rising because people are going to believe in what you say. Like, people are going to kind of like you're speaking of God, you know. Like, That's a lot of the cult leader energy. <laughs> I know. I've always heard mm-hmm. that, like, Pisces risings could easily start a cult, mm-hmm. so. And then that having that extra little charm of Sagittarius mm-hmm. in there. That helps. And, and his oh. nice little Libra stellium to put even more charm mm-hmm. on there. Oh, yeah. He's just laying it on thick, always. Mm-hmm. And he knows he can. I think he's, like, built a lot of his life on using it that using that energy that way. So it's yeah. very natural to him with the way he operates his, his chart, his energies. Um, it's really fascinating. And, again, like, for um, Amber's chart, like, his Neptune stuff is in her eighth house. Um, on her north node so like a lot of this is really like karmic I almost kind of think that like these three had like a past life situation together because of how much like lines up on the nodes um yeah and her south node is Gemini so she probably felt kind of comfortable with this Gemini moon um their Venus placements are in opposite signs so sometimes that can feel like Oh, they're like the other side of me. It's like a completion-type energy. Oh, that's interesting. So it's interesting also on Amber's chart where she has the stellium in the 11th house of uh, Mercury retrograde, the moon, sun, Pallas, Lilith, Bolas, and Venus, like all there. 
And so that's like a lot of this like public um, advocating kind of like communication on like the collective level, like uh, people in the society. Like I, I feel like that's really interesting how, um, you know, and this is not like an active Mercury. This isn't like Mercury direct where you're like out there and you're um, speaking what you think and like making it really like um, this is happening right now and this is what I want to talk about. It's like she's kind of like subdued about it. Like she's kind of gives a little away and mm -hmm. then it's like all this reflective information. Like, oh, this is what's been happening. This is what happened. Um, and kind of, like, it's almost very retrograde, Mercury retrograde. Yeah. Kind of, you're getting a, some of it kind of like in I would love to reserved. read her book because I feel like her delivery, even, you know, throughout yeah. the case, was has this subdued quality to mm -hmm. it where she's being forthcoming, but the way she delivers Absolutely. has this feel that's like, I, I, it's exactly it very poetic mm -hmm. kind of approach and also just think about when you go through mercury retrograde right like you're you're having things from the recent past kind of pop up yeah like it's like um she's doing that for the for the society um probably pretty often and especially with this case you know like she um like maybe you would find out something like during mercury retrograde energy like, oh, I, I didn't pay that bill I meant to pay. Oh, I didn't, I, there was a typo on that email, like, and it made a difference, you know, or I, I forgot to make this plan. I forgot to maintenance my car and now it's, now it's popping up. Like, um, for, for this situation, it's like, she's like, hey, I've been uh, actually dating that guy that, uh, uh -huh. and then <laughs> reviewing it all and looking uh -huh. back at it all and with fresh new eyes like yeah. now knowing this new information it's like I'm gonna review everything mm -hmm. I just went through yeah and it, making she made like this it's kind of empowering and decision making and mm -hmm. it's about her relationship it's all these things that are in you know Venus Lilith the palace it's all these things that are in her 11th house huh. of kind of public speaking public um, speeches things like that um, that all makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, she, she has a lot on just that last, uh, you know, those, that last quadrant of the chart. And that's, I feel like that's a pretty, um, uh, that's typically a pretty open-minded, unique, like big thinking, big thinker kind of personality. Yeah. Um, hmm. And her North Node also being in the 8th house, I feel, it's just so similar to Lacey's chart, how, like, the things that triggered their charts would trigger the same type of um, placements, but it's a little bit different still. Right. So, like, they're stealing, they're, they're both dealing with the same situations, but, like, in a different, in a different way. way. Yeah. yeah. Um, where one of them is, like, the subject of the trial, and one of them is, like, advocate and like, helping, actively yeah. helping in the trial yeah. um, against the same guy. And... <laughs> It's so interesting. Amber was really the only evidence the prosecution had. And we'll get into that a little bit more. I'm not sure if you're mm -hmm. ready to move into that yet or not. Yeah, I also have these charts, these transit charts. I'm not sure when we want to do those. Uh, I feel like the transits, once we kind of get through the next, like, big piece. Sounds good. Because uh, I think it comes into play much more when you have more information about yeah. the case itself. Let's do that. Um, so another really interesting thing about the relationship with Scott and Amber and in interviews, Scott just fucked himself with these interviews. Mm -hmm. So everything he said and did made him seem extremely guilty long before the trial ever started. The police have not arrested him. 
Lacey's still missing. Mm-hmm. Like nobody knows what is going on. But yeah, his his lies were not um, Scorpio <laughs> enough to. Uh, he relied too much on that Neptune Sag type thing. I think. Like hoping it, it would work out. It doesn't work like that when yeah. the court system's coming down on you. Yeah, uh, he, he when, just when facts and evidence are coming down, it doesn't. The so thing you can't is, sad your way through something. The thing about those cases, there's really not facts and evidence. So well, they have they have messages, they have recordings, they have you know. What but I mean? none of it's actually evidence. I mean, they can they can catch them in lies basically, yeah. but there's not really. That's any, not referring to lies. Got it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways to uh, catch him in lies because he just can't stop talking to the media. So Scott also one of the big ones that is a huge problem for me and for like everybody who knew Lacey, he claimed that Lacey knew about the affair with Amber Fry. So in his mind, this wasn't even an issue, which is why he didn't tell the police about it. Um, this is insane because he, he says in one of the interviews that he told Lacey about the affair in early December, yet continued to have the affair. I don't fucking think so. Also, Lacey's friends and family said there's absolutely no way this is true. She mm-hmm. didn't keep anything in her life private. Nothing. Nothing. She was super open about everything going on. She was very fiery. This is not something that she would have brushed off. Scott claimed in an interview that Lacey had made peace with it. And the interviewer was a female. And she was like, your almost nine-month pregnant wife was just at peace with the affair. And he goes, you didn't know our relationship. Like, he got really defensive and then he said Lacey was, and corrected himself and said is, a great person. So he started And she saying, was also missing right away. Uh-huh. Um, not, I can't missing. find her. Where is she? So he has some slips of the tongue in there. But, like, Lacey would have been so pissed off about this affair, and everybody in her inner circle would have known. Her parents would have known. Scott's oh, yeah. parents would have known. She talked to her mom day. Her brother would have known and probably kicked Scott's ass. Like, everybody would have known about this. This is not something that would have been a thing that she would have been like, oh, we're just keeping it in the marriage. Lacey wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. That was not her personality at fucking all. Mm-hmm. So, circumstantial as fuck with this case. As I mentioned, the prosecution didn't have any definitive evidence at all after they, like, finally apprehended Scott. So we're kind of going to bounce around with this Mm -hmm. timeline because it's just so much information. But they did, during their investigation, they did exhaustive searches of his home, the family computer, the marina, the warehouse where Scott kept his fertilizer, his boat, everything. They found nothing, nothing incriminating, no physical evidence. No evidence that there was even a crime committed in the Peterson home. Uh, With the lack of all this evidence, it's hard to say whether there was a timeline for him to kill Lacey and clean up and and do all these things and go to the marina and Mm -hmm. dump her body and clean out his truck and do all this in the middle of the day. So it's hard to, like, really say any of this. Um, The prosecution, when they finally took him to court, like, they claimed that he killed Lacey the night before after 8.30, sometime after she got off the phone with her mom, uh, and cleaned everything up. They said this in their opening statement, which didn't work because, as we were talking about, neighbors said that they saw the dog walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were also some computer searches that contradict that Lacey could be deceased. So it's really confusing. There's just a lot of a lot we don't know in this case and a lot we can't. Yeah. Tied down because of the so many conflicting statements. We already talked about the difference in 
the sightings of Mackenzie, their family golden retriever. Um, and it also feels like there's a ton of red herrings in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even like Scott himself is kind of a red herring. Like just the way he exists in the world is a distraction from evidence, oh, yeah. a distraction from the case. Mm -hmm. This whole affair became the main focus. Like there, um, another crazy thing, there was also a confirmed robbery near the family home right around the time of Lacey's disappearance. This was investigated, though. They did find the perpetrators, and it turns out the date of the robbery was actually two days after Lacey went missing. So that one was ruled out. Okay. But it was one of those things it's where... A weird coincidence. Yes, it was a weird coincidence, and also neighbors were confused. One neighbor said that she saw the robbery the same day that uh -huh. Lacey went missing. So These neighbors are not strict on their time. The neighbors want to be helpful, but they're really not helpful. <laughs> um, it's... The thing is, there's so many um, possible theories, too. Mm -hmm. Like, one of them was really crazy. There was a speculation there was a satanic cult involved mm -hmm. Of at course one there point. was. Satan is usually brought up in a case yeah. like this. Uh, but four months go by. No updates. No sign of Lacey. Her due date passes. But it's just, oh, That's God. So that awful. gets me. That gets me. Um, so that day passes. She's not checking into a hospital. She, there's no signs of life. There's no body. There's no evidence of a crime even. So it's, the investigators are in a really tough spot. But um, trigger warning, big time trigger warning here. The super sensitive information, we're gonna talk about how Lacey was discovered. It's, it's awful, you guys. I'm so. very curious, but I'm sure it's gonna be terrible. It is. It makes me want to cry already. So, the remains of Lacey were recovered in the San Francisco Bay on April 14, 2003, four months after her disappearance. And that is a long time to be in the water. Mm -hmm. That is a really long time. Connor was discovered about 12 hours later. Um, his body was no longer inside of Lacey. Mm -hmm. um, so, he was completely removed from, from her body at this point um the reason the satanic cult thing kind of came in is because lacy there were some similarities with another eight month pregnant woman who was abducted oh so this is where it kind of is like oh shit maybe this is a real theory um or like a possible lead but the conditions of the body were similar and this is this is fucking terrible this is so fucking terrible um lacy was missing her hands, her feet, and her head. She was just a torso. And that's all they discovered. And same with this other case of another uh, woman who was eight months pregnant in the area. So that's a really interesting similarity. And all this is right near the Berkeley Marina where Scott had been fishing the day mm -hmm. of the disappearance. Connor's body, um, like I said, entirely outside of Lacey's Lacey's body so it's unclear whether he was like intentionally removed somehow or if it was related to just being submerged with the advanced decomposition mm -hmm. his body was extremely well preserved so that does make me think that he was in the womb protected yeah. or not until some point yes. being underwater yes yeah the, there was a significant amount of time that passed where he was protected like his he was fully intact with his mm -hmm. body but one thing that was kind of um, strange is there was some twine, like, kind of wrapped around his neck region. And it's not clear whether that was just something floating, you know, the tide well rolling. Um, or if it was something where the baby was removed, which is, I was like, I fucking hope not. Like, mm -hmm. I hope it's the other thing. Like, I, I yeah. it's, 
but it's disturbing, it's gruesome, it's terrible, it's awful. Like, what happened in this case is just so sad, and it's impossible to know for sure. Like, the investigation didn't really um, mm-hmm. follow the leads. They followed Scott. Right. So they didn't really look at other possibilities of what could have happened here. Again, there's no physical or forensic evidence to link Scott to this crime. The affair with Amber Fry and Scott's behavior was the evidence. Like, um, then there's there was some evidence of detectives kind of doing some shady shit, trying to make it look mm-hmm. more like Scott was part of this. Um, one one detective claimed that there was a full page ad for a defense lawyer on the counter, like it was a phone book open to a page of a defense attorney. Hmm. Which I, I just doesn't seem correct. I, I, that just also, seems stupid. the phone book would be it would have other things on the page too, right? But you know, in the in the court of public opinion, Scott didn't stand a chance. But like again, back to this timeline that that they keep talking about is um, Lacey was alive at eight thirty p.m. the next morning. Scott says he left at nine thirty for the marina. Mm-hmm. Lacey was supposedly making online searches around eight forty that morning. Okay. So the thing that was looked up was a sunflower mm-hmm. umbrella. Lacey loves sunflowers. Yeah. Who else would be looking at that? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Unless Scott intentionally was like, I'm going to go look up sunflower umbrellas to establish mm-hmm. a timeline. That gives less than an hour to murder her and take her and do all these things and it's the daylight. So it's hard to set up that timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and neighbors had seen Lacey walking her dog in the neighborhood as well or claimed to have seen her. Mm-hmm. There were other women in the area who looked similar to Lacey who walked their dogs that day too, which came out where there was one lady who was kind of heavy set and had short brown hair at the time. I saw an interview with her and she was like, they very well could have seen me. Yeah. I have a golden retriever. These are not super reliable neighbors. No, the <laughs> I, and eyewitness out. accounts are never reliable in any case. Yeah. They are not, um, it, they just, the memory the brain does not work like a recording device. The brain yeah. doesn't work like a video camera. We encode memories in a very specific mm-hmm. way. Like that's how that's how our brains work. Very and, easily to be tampered with that kind of memory. And two people can see the same thing and have remember it totally differently. Yeah. They can go through the same experience and have completely different memories. Mm-hmm. So we always have to be wary of of that. Even though eyewitness accounts are extremely helpful. Um, they're not super reliable because memories change and shift over time and we forget the little details and like, I can't remember what I did on Christmas, the Mm -hmm. day after Christmas this last year. Like, if somebody asked me to establish my timeline of events, I'd be like, uh. Uh, Let me look at my phone, see if there's anything that that I can remember, right. We didn't have that luxury of the smartphone to see, what did I post that day? Uh You know, so it's a little bit, it's just a little bit different here, um. Very, very sad. But once they found the bodies of Lacey and Connor, it's time to get their guy. At this point, they're like, we're, we're getting Scott Peterson. Like, the, mm-hmm. we're ready to arrest him. They're ready, yeah. Apprehending him was interesting. Um, he was arrested with $10,000 in cash near the Mexican border. Um, he also had dyed his facial hair and the hair on his head to this like terrible orange blonde. Uh, like he did it himself. He did the bleach job. Not a good look to try to disguise himself. So it looked like he was trying to flee. He mm-hmm. also had um, an ID that wasn't his. It was his brother's. But he yeah. had convenient excuses for why he had these things. Oh. The $10,000 in cash. This one really fucking. I was like this is such bullshit. So Scott's mother Jackie said she accidentally 
withdrew um, ten or like something ten thousand dollars from the wrong account from an account she shared with Scott, and she chose to pay him back with cash. No. Why is your mom getting ten thousand dollars out of an account to begin with? No. Like, that's not. Nobody's just like I just need ten grand real quick. Like. That doesn't make any sense. He also said that he had his brother's ID to, like, get some sort of discount at the golf course or to, for something to do with his golf plans that day. It's just really bad lies. Really, really bad lies. Um, so uh, that's pretty much the whole finding Lacey, discovering wow. her, uh, the timelines. The only other things I have to go through are like the trial and the sentencing. Mm. So I don't know if there's anything specific. Yeah, I have some things. Yeah, I want to hear. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for it. Okay. If you are in Northwest Arkansas and looking for affordably priced photography and videography services, then you should definitely reach out to Nice NWA. Yes, you should. With photo sessions starting at $100, now is a great time to update your company's headshots, get graduation photos, new family pictures, and more. Looking for video work instead? Yes, videos start at just $300 and are a great way to boost your marketing engagement online with current customers and potential new customers. It's also a great way to create highlight reels of your next event or just to tell your story in an exciting and creative way. NICE is not just locally owned and operated, but is also a certified minority and veteran-owned business that started right here in Northwest Arkansas in 2017. So, go check them out on Facebook or on Instagram at NICENWA or by visiting their website at NICENWA.com. Okay, so I pulled, like, just dates around, like, December, um, and wanted to see kind of what was going on at that time, and, uh... When did you say that um, he got together with her? With, he, uh, November. Um, okay. Let's see, I've got the exact date because she said it in her testimony. It was the 19th. Her... There was an eclipse. Oh, my gosh. I think it was the 20th. It was either the 20th or the 2nd. Uh, um, but either way, it's around an yeah, eclipse. Yeah, it's in November. And then there is another eclipse on December 4th, which is a very similar timeline to what we just had um, this past winter. That's crazy. This past year. So this eclipse series, having it transition from this Gemini Sag eclipse series into the Scorpio Taurus one, is exactly what they were experiencing here. Wow. Um, And the nodes were lined up the same way. This, you know, the north node kind of leaning like getting up into a Taurus and the South Node moving over into from Sagittarius to Scorpio. Wow. That's uh, what we were. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that was going on then. Um, so generally speaking for all of us, some of those themes might still kind of be like resurging with like things that we see on the news and the collective, you know. But for them, I think that this triggers so much on their charts, having the nodes um, and these eclipses happening. Uh, in Sagittarius, where he Scott has so much on his mm-hmm. chart, and this is also lighting up the girls' eighth houses, oh, which has to do with them. Mm-hmm, yeah, which has to do with with death and chains and dark things transition, like things kind of hiding under the surface that can have to do with sex, you know. Um, and then on um, you know on Scott's chart, the North Node is his moon. Um, and Saturn, he was also, everyone should know this, he was undergoing his Saturn return. At no! His second, his second Saturn return. No. Oh my god! So anything, when your Saturn return goes through, like, you are, you're really, like, 
everything that's not serving you is is kind of going away. You're going under a lot of stress. All these change, all this change, all of this um, can be really um, intense because you know, like it's hitting his his like natal opposition on his chart at the same time. So he's getting his Saturn return, and like there's the North Node on his Moon and the South Node on his Ascendant and his. So it's this we it's this really intense huh. like opposition he's currently experiencing um so you gotta keep that in mind because all of that's been going on um and then venus and mars and juno are all entering scorpio in december that year wow yeah so okay. that's lighting up all of his scorpio stellium um there's all this stuff there's also pluto and mercury and you know this this eclipse happening in sagittarius um chiron was moving through capricorn where his jupiter mm -hmm. is so all this like trauma kind of energy is hitting his uh jupiter um as well as about to hit his north node um which we'll look at here because i i pulled april dates too oh um, my gosh. and then <laughs> um neptune was in aquarius how i think it's really interesting how he was kind of doing this neptunian lying thing mm -hmm. with this double Aquarius mm -hmm. um also born on a new moon um lady uh um Aries was getting uh Ceres and Lilith moving through them so I think that's really fascinating how it became this time of like um empowerment disempowerment like foundation of love things shifting for um both the Aries risings wow um yeah, the transits are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and so the girls, Lacey and Amber, also were having, okay, so their south node was in Gemini, I remember. Mm -hmm. And so their north node was in Sagittarius. Sagittarius. The nodes were flipped for them, which marks um, a karmic life path turning point for <sighs> both of them. Oh my god. Um, and since it has to do with eighth house and second house, Death is a very likely thing to happen during that time. Um, this is also like the la one of the last of this eclipse series as it was moving into the next one. So I think it really makes a lot of sense how it was like wrapping up all of the things that have been going on over the past couple years. Um, yeah, oh my god, it's so intense. I'm like kind of like feeling the stirring in my chest. I, this um, story is like that. Like during the research, I felt that way too. Like it just. Uh, there's something about it and Lilith was um, you know on her ascendant at this in December um, squaring her Saturn I think that that's also very telling um, that's for Lacey yeah yeah well yeah um, the some of this I said okay so that Lilith was involved with this on Scott's chart too, since he has it like at the end of Scorpio, kind of near that ascendant as well. Mm -hmm. um, but this is really just going to make him feel like he's stuck and like kind of delusional and desperate, oh. you know, like a little, like he's kind of losing his, his grip a, a bit, I feel, with these eclipses. Um, and the moon's coming up, the moon phase is coming up next, also trigger his moon and these placements on his chart. Um, I would be curious what happened, like, the younger years when this eclipse series happened the uh -huh. previous time because they met in like 1994 and right before that is when 
the eclipse is like similar to this, but like opposite direction would have happened. Oh wow. Um, so it's kind of like it the eclipse is almost marked them like getting together and then them like, like, yeah. The other thing that you mentioned earlier is like you see like Scott kind of like is like thrill seeking a little bit, mm-hmm. and he is doing that. Like early in it, he's juggling these two relationships, and it's like real exciting and mm-hmm. it's risky and it's dangerous, and he is kind of getting this like thrill seeking. Yeah. In this too, it's just so. It's so much. Mm. It's so much. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say. Like, I kind of wonder like how these patterns have shown up for him before, mm-hmm. and or if it's just kind of like built up to this, especially with the Saturn return hitting at the same time this time. Yeah, know. it's impossible to say, but it's fun to speculate. It's fun to talk <laughs> about. And, like, I know. You think about. Um, there was next a full moon in Gemini right after that, um, with, um, you know, his major Saturn return, um, retrograde energy, um, it was conjunct the full moon at this time. And this was on the 19th. Oh, wow. Of December. So this would have been when he's on so, that trip. <laughs> yeah, he would have just... been on that trip with Lacey and his parents and like going to this cute little, um, uh, beach town. Like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, and then right after that, on the 21st, is winter solstice, when it shifts, shifts into Capricorn season, uh-huh. which has to do with his his uh, Jupiter North Node, um, lighting that up. And um, I feel like when he did this on the, you know, around the 24th, like it was probably like <laughs> oh, hitting, hitting just right, you know? Yeah. However, this timed out. Um, and then the next... Uh, New moon following was conjunct Chiron in Capricorn on January 2nd. Wow. Um, so I, I feel like it just, it, all of that lines up on his chart in this really intense way. Um, mm. It's just, like, especially like, uh, to think about the New Year's thing and then the January, he's just like, he's uh-huh. telling all these lies and he's living in this illusion and mm-hmm. he's like, Everybody's grieving Lacey and doing this big, huge memorials, and he's just, oh, God, like, it's so crazy. Right? Um, Jupiter wasn't moving through Leo at the time, so I think um, it's kind of, it, it makes everything just so vibrant and grand, like, mm-hmm. for everybody at that time. Uh, it makes this, like, fire trying with their charts. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, um I think it would have been trying his Jupiter for a minute and then it would have like, but not, I think that would have been a little suit like before, maybe when they were getting together. Yeah. Um, like how serendipitous we met. Right. <laughs> it, it just escalated yeah. so fast. I don't know if he expected mm-hmm. it to escalate that fast or if he thought this was going to be like a fun little fling he could have. Know. And it just kind of like escalated so fast and then he's like kind of moving in more of like a desperate energy but also enjoying kind of the riskiness and having the two lives but realizing he's got to come up with a way to deal with it yeah because around that time mars would have been over his he would have been having his mars return for the year Mm. as well when he met uh amber time to take action (laughs) (laughs) it's so you know the passion getting Mm -hmm. caught up in the passion you Mm know um i had a couple notes here from that that um other side i mentioned earlier um i thought were kind of interesting they talk about how mars and uranus um as well as his son fell in his in her seventh house um 
let's see, kind of always, oh, did I put these in the wrong spot? I think I did. I think I meant to do this on their relationship part. Um, but it talks about how she was, uh, it made sense for her to have a combustible, like unpredictable partner since it's in his, in her seventh house. Um, uh -huh. and not like cooperative with that Mars Uranus conjunction. Um, her, she says her North node was conjunct his Neptune with his moon exactly opposing. Like, so you do see again, like I've already mentioned that, yeah. um, that intensity there. Uh, let's see. Um, trying to see what it's still relevant. I probably already kind of talked yeah. about it. The, um, oh, here it is. This is why I moved into this part, this pot, this part. <laughs> no, it's hard to talk after. <laughs> okay, I found what I wanted. The, uh, it says, the tragedy is they never got together. If, if they never got together in the first place, maybe what they meant. When she disappeared, um, transit Saturn was conjunct the composite south node, and transit Uranus was opposing the composite Mercury and conjunct the Mars Chiron midpoint. There aren't, these aren't exactly headlines, but the transiting sun just into Capricorn was moving around that brutal composite T-square of Saturn, Pluto, Mars, and transit Neptune was just over the opposition to the composite, composite sun, Venus. So for those of you who are yeah, that blew my mind, and I'm I, I'm fairly in tune with astrology. So I'm like, the, I, it was a lot all at once. But for those of you words, that are, I don't know about that. That that's another way to work with two charts. So oh, you're kind of taking this like midpoint composites, but um, oh, okay. I don't I don't usually talk about a lot of that. But if, for those of you who would be interested, I wanted to include that because it was really interesting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why I put it in this part on okay. my notes. The other stuff was a mistake. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, I definitely think do you have any, no, I think I'm good there. I'm ready to see the bodies found date. Like with all of that, <laughs> um, you know, like I'm ready yeah. to kind of shift forward to the transits in April because it was just so long with no updates in this case. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. here it all is and everything escalated really fast after that and mm -hmm. the arrest and like, you know, the trial, which we'll, we'll get into the trial. It was a whole lot of things but mm -hmm. all right let's get to it oh oh okay that's you oh okay that's, that's you me. that's me <laughs> okay so trial sentencing all this stuff so people like i said were super obsessed with this case it was in media frenzy like everybody knew about it everybody was following it it was such a big deal that they had to draw raffle tickets to see which members of the public could sit in on the trial each day. It was like winning the lottery. Wow. So they would call out numbers and people were like all excited, like, oh, it's me, I get to go in. So people were lining up at like five and six in the morning outside the courthouse and camping out to be able to get a chance, even like a raffle ticket, to get a seat in the courtroom wow. that day. Oh, yes. That makes sense, but... And people were so vocal. Like, there were people there that were advocating for Scott. There were people there that were, like, mm -hmm. wanting Scott to die. There were people mm -hmm. that were just, like, I mean, it was so, it was such a circus. This would be a hard one to have, um, like, a, a good jury for. 
Thank you for saying that. We're going to talk so much about the poison jury. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think in total there were three jurors that had to be like removed from the case. And Only like, three. <laughs> but this is this is the thing with the with the screening process. It was almost impossible because yeah. they couldn't even they couldn't get people to say like everybody knew about it. They they couldn't find any jurors that said they didn't think Scott was already guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, they they had to settle for finding jurors that would say. That um, they would consider the other alternatives. The they would consider other care. alternatives. That and that, uh, that was hard to find too. And mostly, they just had to get people to say that they would give him a fair trial according to the law and the evidence. Wow. So it was really, really fucking bad. It was completely poisoned. So Scott enters the courtroom on the first day of trial. Mm-hmm. He is in shackles. He's charged with two counts of murder, first-degree murder for Lacey and second-degree murder for Connor. He enters a plea of not guilty. Um, In the end, he was found guilty of both charges. So he was found guilty of of these crimes. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't have anything but circumstantial evidence. And this ended up being a death penalty case. And... When you look at it on a surface level, absolutely, this is a this is an eligible death penalty case. When you consider mm-hmm. a pregnant mother who's almost full term and her child, you know, being murdered, right? Like, yeah, absolutely, the perpetrator. We would want death penalty penalty to be on the table for something like this. But if you're going for the death penalty, you need to have some fucking evidence. Yeah. Other than he had an that's, affair. I think that's true. There's, I, this is a disgusting um, injustice, I feel, because of that. Uh, they didn't have anything. It's not a good thing. Like, we as citizens of the, of the United States are protected by certain laws. And the laws that, you know, obviously you can think whatever you want about Scott Peterson, but I'm coming from the standpoint of the law and mm-hmm. objectivity. And that is what was not happening in this right. case at all. So I feel like DNA evidence should be there for a death penalty. Like, I think you should be able to definitively uh-huh. say the person committed this crime. It better 100% be them. Like, this is somebody's life. Mm-hmm. This is insane when you think about that. Yeah, I agree with But you. there was no forensic evidence in this case at all. Really n- nothing. Um, the publicity made it impossible for Scott to receive a fair trial. One of the most concerning things to me is that um, they even released details of Scott's alibi before they found Lacey's body. So, it is possible that someone else chose that dump site four months later based on Scott's alibi, that he was at the marina that day. Yeah. So, the convenience of if you had done this and it wasn't Scott and somebody did abduct Lacey and do something and had buried her body somewhere and then what if they dug it up and put it on the shore or you know what I mean like the, it, it leaves reasonable doubt reasonable doubt is the name of the game when mm-hmm. you're talking about being a juror yes like that is you have to be able to be certain beyond any reasonable doubt that he committed this crime the evidence just does not back it up and I compare this to the Casey Anthony case you can go back and watch that episode. It was season mm-hmm. two, episode one. We talked about that and how um, it was the prosecution majorly failed in that case and in this mm-hmm. case as well. Like, if you are going to go after somebody and you don't have the evidence, like, you're risking it all. Yeah. You can't just take someone to court and, like, per- prosecute them for murder because they're a liar. Casey Anthony, 100% proven to be a liar. Scott mm-hmm. Peterson, 100% proven to be a liar. Yep. The Casey Anthony case, I feel, had better evidence... Mm-hmm. Than 
this case for Scott Peterson. So he did not receive a fair trial. An appellate court agreed that the publicity surrounding the trial um, made it unconstitutional. His rights were violated immensely in this mm-hmm. entire thing. So, um, again, I'm not trying to be an advocate for Scott Peterson. What I'm trying to be is an advocate for the law. Um, because, like, these types of mistakes really deprived him of his rights. And that, that's not okay. That's not a world that any of us want to be a part of or live in. So, in Absolutely. November, yes, justice. <laughs> but with evidence. Um, in November 2015, the defense filed a petition claiming that a juror lied on her application. And um, so the, this part is really interesting where there, she did go public with people like, I guess on like a chat forum or something, mm-hmm. um, saying like, framing herself as being an impartial juror because she came mm-hmm. in to replace one that had been removed. And uh, then on, on a social platform she was saying like i can't believe they they bought it like those attorneys are so fucking stupid i can't wait to go in there and fry scott peterson so there were people who were trying to get on this jury simply to right absolutely um, mess it up because this trial was so huge and like the jurors that were dismissed were receiving death threats one of them had his vehicle vandalized i mean like it was insane what was going on mm-hmm. and how invested people were and how emotional people were and how irrational people were, like, watching and speculating on this case as it was It happening. is very um, Jupiter and Leo. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is there's also evidence that um, Lacey was alive after Scott left. The, the, it's just, it's not, I mean, right. circumstantial evidence, but it's enough evidence to cast reasonable doubt. Yeah. This was not a fair trial. Um, and then on June 2nd, 2020, so, um, exactly two years ago tomorrow Mm -hmm. from the time we're recording this, the California Supreme Court heard arguments on Scott's appeal. Um, they thought that, you know, the jurors were improperly excused. Some of them were removed from the case for simply like trying to keep it organized because the foreman was removed. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a really good job. I think he was a, an attorney. Okay. They also had a physician on the jury. So you have some like intelligent professional people and those were the jurors that were being removed, which is so interesting mm-hmm. how, how that all goes. Um, yeah, they allowed jurors to go out on Scott's boat, which is kind of weird. What? Like, they just allowed a lot of things as, like, evidence uh-huh. that weren't really evidence that or necessary. Yeah. Um, and that that was a huge error on the part of the judge to allow that kind of shit. So, just things that make it unconstitutional. Um, and then the juror questionnaire results showed that almost half of the jurors had already concluded Scott was guilty before the trial even started. So, like, your jury is so tainted. They only moved this, um, like, 50 minutes away. They did not sequester the jury, so they didn't, like, put them up in a hotel and guard them from media. They let them all go home. There was no way to avoid knowing about this and hearing people talk about it because it was all people were talking about Mm. so poisoned af for the jury um but then on august 24th 2020 in a unanimous decision the supreme court this went all the way to the supreme court um upheld the conviction of scott peterson but overturned the death sentence so on september 22nd 2021 just a few months ago it was ruled that he would be resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole 
for the first degree murder of Lacey, and then a concurrent sentence for of uh, 15 years for second degree murder of Connor. Um, one other like really sad fact is as part of the evidence or like in the courtroom, they actually uh, had Connor's body. Oh wow! And one juror said that he was fully preserved. All his facial features were there. He was like translucent. Yeah. And kind of looked a little bit like an alien, like, mm-hmm. but like for that reason. But aside from that, that Connor was fully preserved and like, like looking wow. at a baby, which I can't even imagine how disturbing that was to the jurors. And another thing, people were really upset that Scott didn't have a lot of emotion in court, which I say this on every episode pretty much. Your attorney's going to tell you mm-hmm. not to be emotional in court. That's a bad thing because they're going to read your emotions mm-hmm. and they're going to say you're faking it and you're going to be too emotional or not mm-hmm. emotional enough. Like, you can't win. Um, and so, he already was not um, emotional about this. So, like, it's... His mother, Jackie, on a phone call with Scott said, you come from a long line of Stoics. Like, everybody in their family's kind of like this. Okay. So, this is this is a personality trait that seems to be consistent in his family. Like, they don't show a lot of emotion. So, I, and the emotion part is always, like, I hate when they bring that shit I up. I know. And try to say, because you can't, I mean, some people deal with dissociation. Mm-hmm. And, like, completely dissociate during their trial. Which, yeah, they're going to look dead behind the eyes because they're not really mentally there. Mm-hmm. So, it's just... I, I just hate when people read too much into that. But Scott's not going to be uh, executed. He's indisputably a scumbag. I do think that he personally, my personal opinion, is that he is responsible for mm-hmm. Lacey's disappearance in some way, whether directly or indirectly or yeah. involving someone. I don't really know. I mean, nobody knows. But I do not believe there was enough evidence to convict him of these crimes beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. They, they just there's just not evidence. If they had better evidence, I would love I would have loved to see that in this case. If that wasn't what happened, and the saddest part is that Connor would have been 19 years old today, and this child never got to have a life. So let's look at the other transit mm-hmm. charts because um, that is all the info I've got to like formally right. I still have so much uh, case information in my head that I could oh, probably yeah, you'll still will come up in. so I got curious and I um, <laughs> we might lose you Patreon we're a little low, low battery over there low battery company. <laughs> um, but we're, we're wrapping it up I mean we've got I kind of got curious when I looked at the the 24th from Modesto and see what the where the ascendant was okay. throughout the day because usually like the things that are kind of coming up in our little game of life um, come up at the time uh, around the time of like the ascendant like passing over them because okay. it's like it's kind of like um, I'm trying to think of a way to like um, it's like an energy passing through, you know, like it, right? Yeah, it's, like it, it's like the focus is being put on that. Like if it, if you had a timeline in your video game, it'd be like, okay, it's time for this to happen now. Like it's time for, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, there's all these things kind of going, but like the focus is on a certain event. Um, oh, okay. So like one of my favorite astrologers, um, he's a Vedic astrologer. He's, he, he really lives by this motto of like, we live and then we reflect on the charts. He doesn't like to look. Too much ahead. Like he oh, likes, to, he likes okay. to live and let astrology speak through his experience. Anyway. No, that's really he useful. Was, he was I, talking I mean, about it. 
<laughs> I like to see. I like to do both. I like to see everything far in advance and prepare myself. That's, uh, very Virgo rising. I know. I can't help it. Um, can't remember what his rising is, but uh, anyway, he was telling. He was talking about. He had his friends over and they were sitting out on the patio, you know, it was like sunset time and they were just having a conversation, maybe a drink, I don't know. And um, he said it was so fascinating when he looked back that like at the time of um, like different topics coming up in conversation, it would line up with like how the ascendant was moving on the chart. Um, oh. Like it would, like whatever, just kind of had top bubbled changed. up, like whatever, because you know it's like you're very in the moment. You're oh very my gosh! Like, just like perceiving the energy that's coming to you and all of that, and so like he's saying, like it lined up with um, the aspects on the ascendant. That's really cool, right? Uh, I'm surprised I haven't mentioned that before. That's I think about that a lot. <laughs> um, but I anyway, feel like maybe you have, but it's been a long time, and I don't think I have. Maybe. It doesn't feel familiar, but maybe. Hmm. Uh, so I wanted to see on the 24th um, in their time zone and everything what was coming up on the horizon. Um, and it's literally like a phrase that people use, like, oh, it's coming up on the horizon. Oh, yeah, like whatever's on the horizon. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Astrology sneaks its way. Yeah, it does, because people, I feel like, pick up on things whether they kind of know it or not. And some of those phrases might be kind of originated Right, like from the these energy meetings, in the room. Yeah. And like all these, yeah. Yeah, I just try to learn those phrases and use them a lot. I think it's fun. It makes people feel more comfortable, even though I'm telling them astrology. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, 9.15 that morning, Ascendant just entered Aquarius. Huh. And what's in Aquarius right now? Neptune, Uranus, Pallas, and both the girls' moon signs. I was going to say the moon um, signs too, yeah. Yeah, so already that's that's pretty fascinating. Um and this would be square to uh, Scott's sun placement exactly, wow. like right at the you know at the beginning of that time. And then as we move through to like ten fifteen, uh, it gets into later Aquarius, um, and this is going to be square to his like it's going to square off with his Juno and his Mercury and Lilith, um, and it comes over. Um, the transit palace, which is like, it's time to make decisions, time to make a choice. Um, like we're strategizing, you know, mm -hmm. and Uranus, which triggers his unpredictability. Like what are we going to do? Triggers his Mars, triggers his, um, Ceres, like all of that stuff he has going on, um, in Libra. And he already has palace in Libra. I think that this is like really triggering, like, okay, it's time to do, you know, it feels like a let's do something. We got to mm -hmm. do something. Um, but I guess it could also be like making the decision to go, Fishing instead of golfing, golfing, you know, but yeah. I, I feel like, you know, we won't know exactly how these energies played out, but it does kind of give me this like suspicion, extra suspicion. I was wondering if um, that would happen. And then like a Scorpio sussing another Scorpio. I'm also like, obsessed oh, I, with I that. feel like he's a bullshitting about everything. Um, <laughs> that's my, that's my opinion. It's like, like a lie detector. I really feel like he, I could kind of. Like, not that I, I resonate and identify with it, but I can kind of, like, feel, like, the way he might. Like, you have a deeper understanding of uh -huh. this energy. Yeah, and yeah. I was with a Sag rising with, similar to this, like, for a long time. So I just, I feel like it, I kind of, this Gemini Sag, like I, was, I was raised around Gemini Sag energy. Like, I kind of just feel like this is, hmm. You're on to it. Uh, anyway, not about me, though. 
Uh, <laughs> if you want my opinion, that's what it is. I did want your opinion. I, <laughs> I know you specifically asked for it. So, yep. Um, and then as we get more, you know, into like, uh, you know, 10, 30, 11, like the ascendant is moving over into like Pisces and, um, for him, this is Pholus on his chart, <laughs> like right at the beginning of, um, of Pisces. So I, and that squares his ascendant, it squares his Neptune. It, it's just very like, it's triggering all the right things on his chart for me. <laughs> mm. uh, I mean, not because, not good, right? well, because if, if the, if he did commit this crime, mm -hmm. it would have been Between probably very quick. And at like by 9 15, mm -hmm. he would have to jump into action to leave by 9 30. Yeah. Um, he also allegedly had stopped by his um, warehouse at some point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at 8.15, the ascendant's on his north node. Like, if we went back up further. Okay. Like. The whole morning? This is very, like. <sighs> yeah, and then what about at 2.15 when he made the I did call? look down there. I did look I at 2.15. Which I think is maybe why I had it at 15. And then again at 525. Um, like, we got yeah, like fives so, in here. It's all like even fives, which is weird. So 215 um, hits uh, the end of Taurus. Hey, beautiful, I'm leaving Berkeley. Uh, That's probably what it sounded like. Yeah, That's exactly. my impression. <laughs> it's not good. Exactly. It's not a good um, and then by the time you would have been home, like an hour and a half later, uh, it was... It was between his North Node and Saturn, or sorry, um, the North Node and Saturn, but also his Saturn because it's, right. yeah, it's, it's his Saturn return. Um, it, I, I don't know. I, I might be suspicious either way, but I, I don't feel, I, I, th I feel like this kind of corroborates things for me a little bit. Yeah, that's all you need. Um, this evidence could have been in court, actually. This probably would have been stronger evidence than what energetic, energetic evidence. This yeah. was the energy he was working with at the time, and I think it's very uh, Honestly, telling. it's more, it's better than what uh, the prosecution had. So I feel like oh God. <laughs> you could have done a better job prosecuting mm -hmm. this case with no legal All experience. Right. All right. I looked up also um, the dates the body was, were found, which this was April 13th to 14th, so I just pulled, like, the know. evening of the 13th. Yeah, um, they found her on the morning of the 14th, so some at some point, the bodies ended up on the shore. They were discovered by a runner. Ooh, so the somebody, fact that they ended up on the shore makes yes, so much more sense. They were on the shore. They had washed up. Okay, and so... And a runner found them and reported... Yeah. Okay. Connor okay, okay. wasn't found until 12 hours later, so Lacey was found that morning because there's news coverage of it. And helicopters of them removing the body. Like, it was a big fucking deal. So the morning of the 14th um, is when the bodies are actually being removed from. Okay. I actually want to pull, if, since you know, like, exact times, so I kind of want to, like, yeah. get this more exact. And this is around Modesto still, right? Yeah. It's in the San Francisco um, Bay. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just pull. Yeah, because this is by the Berkeley Marina, which is like 90 miles from Modesto. Mm -hmm. So we can pull that up. But yeah, and the fact that Connor wasn't found until like that evening. So the 14th was a full day of events. Okay, I'm pulling for San Francisco. Okay. 
Um, Lacey found. That's yeah. what we'll call it. This it was April fourteenth. Fourteenth. So two thousand three. Okay. Because it when it pulled for me, it said thirteenth and fourteenth. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. with the news coverage and everything, like they show it, like you can okay. see it, like there's helicopters flying, like reporters are descending. They're reporting as the bodies are being taken Whoa. out. Well, as Lacey's body, because yeah. Connor still hadn't been discovered. Okay, so what time roughly would you guess? I would guess around 10 a.m. Okay. That's my guess. You know, it may have been a little earlier. It was definitely morning. Mm-hmm. And they may have said the exact time. Uh, the one of the reporters who actually got the rough first, is fine. She got this. the first interview with Scott, mm-hmm. which uh, I thought was pretty pretty cool. She gave a lot of info about this and what she was doing that day. And she got a call that morning telling her to go to the San Francisco Bay like right away. Nobody and she was like finding out more information on her drive wow. there. And by the time she got there, there were helicopters swarming and like she's reporting live and it was a whole thing. Okay, so this chart is even better than the one I pulled. So around the time that she was found, um first of all, the sun was in her first house. Um and it had gotten um let me see exactly what it was moving over. It was moving over her Chiron. Wow. And I think that is really I should have it coming through your first house already is like, you're going to be seen. You're going to be, um, the spotlight is on you. And for it to be also uh-huh. on her, on her trauma, on like her, yeah, on her death. Uh, like, earring fell out. Oh no, the earring. <laughs> um, <laughs> these are, these are weird, but they're good. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like that was just right away super, um, very telling. Yes. Very, very interesting. Very big deal in my mind. That it was it was out of all the times it could have come up. Like it came up as the sun was highlighting this this part of her chart. Um, exactly being found, being seen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. It would have been um, Lilith, Ceres, and Mercury were also over her sun. Like exactly <laughs> like. Um, where her sun placement is over in Taurus. So again, a lot of this like kind of empowering and people are talking, like it's a lot of this like energetic focus on that that area of the chart as well. There's Jupiter trines going on. Um, Chiron was trying her sun in the first house. So a lot of this like Chiron stuff, Jupiter were being seen, we're being, um, the light is shining on us also literally. Wow. Um, also like something interesting, this is kind of a little bit um, like metaphorical, but like the sun moving from Pisces to Aries is like literally like this kind of like emerging from the waters into life and like and into wow. the physical from the deep waters. Like it's, uh, it's almost, it's just kind of poetic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I feel like that's hard to like, Mm. Um, it paints a picture that's yeah. for sure of her, what was happening here so the north node was just finally leaving it was at the 29th degree 56 seconds of uh, um, getting into Taurus I had just moved into Taurus um, <sighs> you know really getting us into this next eclipse season that we were talking about for the spring mm-hmm. um so a lot of all of this, this all happened like between these eclipses, which is intense how they hit her chart. Um, Venus and Uranus and Pisces were on her stellium. Um, 
And for Scott, this shows a lot of Chiron and Mars squares. Like Chiron and Mars right. were together and they were both square to his Mars. And then he took And action. they were conjunct um, Ambers. Wow. She was having her Mars return in that Capricorn thing we were talking about with yeah, I'm gonna just start repeating myself. It's I'm just not so interesting because, like, after this happened, like, mm -hmm. Scott goes on. Basically, it looks mm -hmm. like he's gonna flee. Yeah, yeah, that's true. When 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 was the fleeing thing? It was like right, right. when, like, in the same time. Uh huh. Uh, I actually think maybe it was a little bit before. Mm hmm. Which is interesting. Or no, maybe it was after. I can't remember. I cannot remember. There's too much information in my brain for the that timeline. But around now. Yeah. Because um, on his chart, this was... I'm going to look looking at the houses again. Let's see if I can um, find Also, how, how much of this happens in his, like, seventh and first house? Like, so much of himself and relationships. Oh, himself and relationship. Like, that kind of... Yeah. That was definitely a front and center. Uh-huh. Um, so the eclipses are happening there, which mark major things in, re in the relationship. Um, oh, I just... Uh, around the time that Lacey would have been found, the Senate was going over Saturn and Gemini, um, which was his return placement. <sighs> um, I bet a lot of these things kind of line up with his Saturn return. Yeah. If you were able to see, like, exact charts for things. Um, it's... And then what about that evening? Anything for Connor? Because it would have been about 12 hours later. So if we look at, like, 10 p.m. I, I almost forgot. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. I was <laughs> um, curious. Just that really... moves the Ascendant over to, um, like, Scorpio, moving oh. into Sag. So it's, you know, 12 hours. That's a half a rotation around the Zodiac. Yeah. Um... So we are seeing them discovered like around the time of the nodes, like switching. Like, yeah. yeah, like um, at the like around when the um, ascendant hits north node, around when the ascendant hits the south node. Wow. Mm -hmm. And with how much of this was centered around the eclipse charts, like it it really does make a lot of sense for me. Um, That's super fascinating. It really is. It's so sad. The whole thing is so sad. I mean, just the fact that we still don't know 100% what happened or who even did this. Did Scott actually even do this? Because I still don't feel confident 100%. You know, I, I speculate. But there's a chance. I mean, otherwise, it's like... I don't, I don't know. There's just too many questions in this case. There's too many twists and turns. Like, mm -hmm. if he did do it, I don't think he would confess. So, mm -mm. that's where, like, I don't know. I just don't know. Do you have any more things that you want to... I was just looking at the Midheaven okay. at the times. Because when Lacey was found, the Midheaven was... His, was Aquarius Pisces and then when Connor was found it was um, like Leo Virgo hmm. um, more likely Pisces and Virgo like I just looking at those oppositions and um, how that lines up with their charts because on uh, Lacey's you know she's got that Pisces stellium and it's all about like 
Mars and action and liberating herself with Lilith and stuff like it, it and her moon was at the end of Aquarius like I feel like that um ties in in an interesting way and then um you know I don't have Connor's chart right but um I, I feel like by the time Connor was found, I mean, everybody was... This is the stuff that would be kind of on the public right. radar. So uh, by the time he was found, like, it's the Midheaven is lining up with Scott's Midheaven. Gosh. Uh, so people are really, like, yeah. paying attention to him by, yeah. by the end of the day. <laughs> by day, the end of the day, um, absolutely. Finding, finding uh, Connor... What is a tragedy. My heart continues to go out to the entire Rocha family, like, and, and honestly to the, the Peterson family as well. Like, uh, even though Jackie has passed away, Lee Peterson still firmly believes that his son is innocent. He still advocates for Scott. He still has a relationship with his son. And it's, it's a, both families really suffered a lot. They, in this case, like anytime this happens, both sides end up really, it tears families apart, tears people apart, it tears everything apart. And it's just so sad. The loss of Lacey, like, you know, the Petersons lost a daughter that they loved. They lost their daughter-in-law that they did love. And then having to deal with the guilt of potentially their son doing this and then trying to believe in his innocence. And they all wanting, lost a grandkid. They all lost a grandchild and it's it's really really sad one of the testimonies from, from brent uh lacy's brother is so heartfelt he was crying and saying like our kids were supposed to grow up together my kids are never gonna have cousins now and like we had planned this since we were kids and how our kids were gonna grow up together and they were setting their lives up for that like everybody was so excited for connor to enter the world and lacy was so happy and it just it's it's really horrible like that's why this case I just think touched so many people like mm -hmm. that's why we're still talking about it 20 years later um that's why people still remember Connor's name a child that was not even actually birth like mm -hmm. he was not necessarily ever born but it was yeah he, like he's he's still his memory is there like it, it's all just really fucking tragic um, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to say on this episode? Um, really horrible. It's horrible. It's heavy. It's fascinating. Um, and I, I just, maybe one day we'll have more answers. Um, if Scott actually did do this as he was convicted of this crime, like, I really do hope that one day he does confess if he did this. I don't think he ever would, even if he absolutely 150% did this, but still, mm -hmm. um, we can always hope for that. And again, uh, nothing but love and respect to the Rocha family uh, and the, all the suffering that they've had to endure and still have had to endure. And same for Amber Fry, um, watching this case kind of be brought back up and like, oh, they're going to look at his conviction being overturned. They're going to look at, that's so stressful for everyone mm -hmm. involved and having drudge up those feelings again. Um, so I really hope that they can find, you know, peace in their hearts and closure just in some way, just for their own personal well-being. Like, we wish nothing but the best to all the families involved in this. But that, everybody, is the astrology of Lacey Peterson. 
Um, thank you so much for watching both parts. We know this was a long one, um, but hopefully you guys loved having some extra content for the season three finale. We're going to come back with amazing stuff for season four. So mm -hmm. we're just going to continue to bring you the stories you want. So be sure to connect with us, uh, like, follow, subscribe, uh, give us some comments. If there's a story that you really want to hear, you can message us. This um, episode was one on a poll. So yeah. We chose this episode because you guys chose this episode. We want to give you the stories that you want to hear. We want to look at the charts you want to see. Um, so please interact with us. Let us know. We're on every platform. We're at Dark Alignment pretty much everywhere. You can find the links to everything at darkalignmentpodcast.com. Um, you can join our Patreon for exclusive content. You can buy some cool merchandise if you want everyone to know that you love charting bitches. Um, if you, <laughs> um, you can also rate and review this podcast. Five stars would be fantastic. Please, please, please. We, we ask you so kindly to do us this solid and give us five stars. It would just mean the world. And like, we are also just so happy you guys continue to join us each week. Or if this is your first time, like you picked a doozy, <laughs> we're, we're excited for you. So true. So true. Can you imagine this being your first episode with us? Like it's, it's a heavy hitter. Um, it makes me feel bad for them going back and hearing the old audio quality is what it does. Oh man. Yeah. We'll do <laughs> when that. They work their way to the beginning. Work your way to the beginning with some, because some of our older episodes are also, I mean, all of our episodes are great. But even yeah, though the, the content is always great, the sound may not be what you expect. In like the first few. Like, yeah. Ooh. I still didn't think they were that bad, but they weren't that good either. We were beginners. Go listen to the first one. There's somebody mowing in the background. <laughs> yes. Yes, there was. A person who I felt was trying to sabotage me at the time. And probably I'm correct. Three years ago. <laughs> you know, all that time, which is crazy. We've been doing this podcast for that long. So thank you guys so much for all of your support and all of the love. We completely appreciate you. And uh, we want to empower you to continue to love yourselves, be nice to people, and chart all the bitches in your life. And we'll see you next season. Bye. Bye.